nothing new in the world of sales, except for the history you do not know. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast, bringing the brilliant and sometimes strange minds, methods, and ideas from the sales profession's past with applications to today. Here is your host, best-selling author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, keynote speaker, trainer, and nerd, Todd Capone. Could the sales profession become so deplorable that a government decides to mass murder by the tens of thousands people in the selling profession? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, as it turns out, looking through the lens of history, it actually happened. And so today, we're going to go way back. Way back meaning BC to the Roman Empire and to explore the rise of the deplorable salesperson. So let's dig in and let's start with those three words, the Roman Empire. What comes to mind when you hear them? I mean, I don't know about you, but when somebody talks about the Roman Empire, you think strength and patriotism and heroes. It was referred to as the Eternal City. And we probably don't consider the Eternal City, meaning a city that would live on forever, being Rome, to be filled with peddlers and merchants. Well, in the final two centuries BC, the streets of Rome were filled with the sounds of, quote, the barking of hucksters. It was a time when Rome had transitioned from being a republic to an empire. Business was fantastic. Actually, it was probably too fantastic. It was a time when shields and swords were put to the side and they were replaced by an unquenchable thirst for gain. Rome was overrun by salespeople. I mean, literally jamming traffic in a wild scramble for business, where main streets started to resemble a fairground filled with booths of people selling things and street performers and all kinds of crazy stuff. It became a profession so reviled that in one story, salespeople were round up and murdered by the tens of thousands. So let's talk about that. And so to take a step back and let's just explore where I found all of this. I was reading a magazine from 1924 and there was an article written by a guy named Roscoe Gilmore Stott. And the, the magazine was how and what to sell, but he was talking about a time when the sales profession was maturing. And I dug into it and what I read was not what I expected. He wrote of this period of time of the two centuries before zero AD. So really the last two centuries BC, the period of 200 BC to the year zero. Stott was a poet in his day job writing this article, but when I looked up his history, he'd written a number of books that have nothing to do with business or sales. So I'm not sure where this interest came from, but he was writing poetry and his books are very lyrical. So reading the article was difficult to understand. However, he referred to a book published by Harper's in 1880 by an author he referred to as Dr. Herberman. And then he added, I might do better than to give this entire segment of our historical study to him. I mean, that was it. All Scott referred to in the article was this book from 1880 by this Dr. Herberman. So as you might imagine, my nerdery took off and I couldn't let that go. So 
I went on a research project. What was the book? Who was Herberman? And how do I get my hands on it? Well, I successfully found it. The 1880 book was titled Business Life in Ancient Rome, and it was written by Herberman. His name was Dr. Charles G. Herberman. I found a digital copy, and over spring break, I read it three times in a week, really to make sense of it all. And when I say I read it three times, you think, are you crazy? Well, it was only 77 pages long. And so let's dig into Herberman's take uh, along with the article that Stott wrote in 1924 and go back to this idea of during the Roman Empire, the world was at their feet, according to Herberman. It's luxuries at their command. It's wealth at their mercy. What wonder if they stretched forth their hands and plucked the tempting fruit? The Roman Empire was essentially money mad. Even the most adored philosophers and poets spoke of the need to put money above all else. And so I'm going to read a couple of these writings to you, and you're going to see exactly what I mean. And we're going to start with a guy named Quintus Herocius Flaccus. Now, he's known, you may have heard of him, in the English-speaking world as Horace. And he was really the leading Roman lyric poet during the time of Augustus. And he lived in that last century BC, and he wrote this. Seek money first, good friends, and virtue next. Each Janus lectures on the well-worn text. Lads learn it for their lessons. Gray-haired men, like schoolboys, draw the sing-song o'er again. Let me make sense of that for you. Horace was advocating for putting money ahead of friends and ahead of virtue. And then he went on in those last two sentences to talk about the fact that we needed to be teaching children this. Like, that should be the priority, right? Putting money ahead of friends and virtue. Now, another guy you may have heard of, his name was Juvenal, known at the time for being the most powerful of all Roman poets. He wrote this one. It matters not what you may sell. Of profit fragrant is the smell. Keep on thy lips, morn, noon, and night, this teaching of the bard, that might do honor to the gods above. Nay, even, I should say, to Jove. No one will ask whence comes your gold. Have it you must, say young and old. This principle the toothless nurse does to the crawling boy rehearse. The girls upon their parents' knee must learn before their ABCs. Juvenile preaching to all who will listen the fragrant smell of profit, the idea that nobody will know where you get your money. Just get it. And like Horace, he also spoke of the need to teach children this way of thinking. Now, at the time, towards the end of the Republic and during the first centuries of the empire, the population of the region was around 1.5 million people. It was made up of a highly diverse population who had come to Rome from, quote, every clime and every nation. Individuals were there, quote, to provide for all the wants and luxuries of this motley multitude. Immense supplies must be brought from every quarter of the globe. All right, so of the 1.5 million people, it was estimated, according to the article, 
that at least 900,000 of those were slaves. So 900,000 out of 1.5 million were slaves whose monthly allowance was a bushel of corn, a pint of oil, and a little wine. And many were even worse. Now, in spite of this, quote, starvation board and starvation wages, immense quantities of provisions were consumed by the population of the metropolis. Now, for those who were the haves versus the have-nots that we just talked about, quote, the fare of the rich was as sumptuous as the food of the poor was mean. Emperors like Nero, Varus, Helioglabus, they spent 240000 to $400,000 on a single banquet. It was expected. In some cases, individuals who weren't emperors were, quote, guilty of this imperial folly. For example, one of the stories was talking about this actor named Marcus Gavius Apicius, and I'm sure I'm ruining that name, but it was said that he spent $4 million on the pleasures of the table, and then he took poison because having only $400,000 left, he saw starvation staring him in the face. Now, of course, it wasn't just food. Other luxuries kept pace. Everything from flowers and perfumes and ointments, clothing. Millions were spent per year on these things. Marble and bronze statues were everywhere. And the furniture. Famous tables were all the rage. Rome and the Romans' money-first mania was like a national plague during the Roman Empire in the last century B.C., and to the point where stores actually had inscriptions on their doorways, such as Salve Lucrum, which meant Hail Prophet, and other quotes like, No place for idlers here, loiter away, meaning don't come in and just look around. You better be buying something. So let's go on to talk about how bad it got. The quote that jumped out to me was this, quote that said, double crossing became a fine art. So we talk about this rise of the deplorable salespeople. Roman peddlers and merchants began to take this outside of Italy. So it was throughout Italy, but now swarms of these merchants were taking goods out widely beyond Italy in hopes of finding fortunes. As it turns out, other countries weren't having this deplorable behavior, putting a stop to it in the worst possible way. I hinted at this at the beginning, but in Herbermann's 1880 book, he found that in 88 BC, 80,000 of these traders, peddlers, and merchants from Rome were murdered in Asia Minor. Asia Minor was now part of Turkey. In Delos, which is one of the biggest commercial centers along the Mediterranean, 20,000 more were murdered by the hands of the government. Roman merchants became pervasive in Africa. They were all over Gaul, which is a region that is huge. It's really present-day France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, parts of Switzerland, Germany, northern Italy. The Roman scholar Cicero, who ironically was beheaded himself in 43 BC, said that, quote, not a pennyworth was bought or sold in Gaul that did not appear in the ledgers of the Roman bankers. There was a massive accumulation of immense fortunes. It got to a point where the stories of trickery and sliminess were everywhere. One common scheme that I thought was unique was how 
there were groups that upsold a family on how their deceased family members would be cremated upon their death. They were promised the highbrow way, which was to be cremated with pure cassia, whatever that is. But in reality, that's not how they were being cremated. They were cremated with a little cassia and a lot of cherry bark. Apparently, cherry bark was not so fancy. Clothing and drapery, it was being sold with beautiful colors, but they would fade as soon as they were hit with sunlight. It goes on to say a quote, the modern housewife must be on guard against deceitful bobs. Herberman went on to say whether there were at Rome any honest, on-price stores, we know not. We do know that some Roman signs show us that the customer haggling with the salesman as if it were an inducement to the buyer to know that a trader was not obstinate in his prices. So, haggle away. Now, in Rome, the government finally stepped in and put a stop to this approach to selling. Quote, For if the vendor is a pest, even more so is the squatter with mercantile desires. He rises everywhere out of nowhere. In the very forum, scene of oratorical glory, in the campus martius, and along the streets he appears in such numbers that at length the emperor himself is compelled to break up the evil. He went on to explain, quote, Marshall, the poet, thanks Domitian for curbing this nuisance. He closes with, quote, No blackened inns now fill the street. Barber and butcher, innkeeper and cook, beyond their premises now stray no more. Hail Rome once more! On Rome again we look, T was one vast wilderness of shops before. So, let's wrap this up here and talk about the lesson. And we're going to go back to Scott's article from 1924. He left us with this final lesson that is both ironic and how it still applies today, but so well written that I didn't even bother attempting to better it. He said, Quote, the Roman citizen was not much different from the modern business trickster who in his short-sighted way thinks, hooray for myself and Hades with everyone else. Salesmanship is too glorious an occupation to be so debauched. And yet in our own times, many well-meaning sellers imitate the Roman vendor and squatter. Our product appears best when displayed with dignity. The man who sells a worthy product need have no apology in his heart. Yet there are methods and methods. The Roman sellers became pests. Again, that was 1924. So we go back and we look at how selling becomes selfish and how we put money ahead of virtue. And it led to mass extinction just before zero AD. Could it happen again? Probably not. But we need to keep this lens in mind that if we're prioritizing money over virtue, we're doing it wrong. And there's an opportunity for us to get our mojo back to where it was in the early 1900s. So again, as always, I hope you found this one enjoyable. I sure did. It became an obsession over my break where I couldn't stop digging into the research on this one. But as always, if you've got questions, you've got ideas, please reach out. I'm pretty easy to find. You can go to toddcaponi.com or give me a call, 847-999-0420 if you've got other thoughts or ideas. But as always, I really appreciate you 
contributing your time, giving this a listen, and I hope you got something out of it. Thanks again. Thanks again.